Torres. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The question issues around the Western world, are you rapture ready? Well, what is the rapture? When will it be? And who's qualified? We want to Deal with those subjects here today on Viewpoint, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. One party calls the pre-tribulation rapture theory the church's Trojan horse. Another says it doesn't exist at all. Others say, well, there's a post-tribulation rapture. Some say there's a mid-tribulation rapture. Others say, no, there's a pre-wrath rapture. And then some are saying, there's no rapture at all. What's true? Is it possible for us to even know the truth regarding these questions? I hope you'll stay tuned, friends, because we're going to discuss this in a simple way. Well, as simple as we can possibly make it. Because quite frankly, it's very easy to get carried away in the weeds, so to speak, theological weeds, and lose sight of the basic questions. So we want to look at the basic questions. What is the rapture? Is there a rapture? Who is going to be raptured, if any, and why? And when will it be? Those are the salient questions here today on Viewpoint. Yesterday... I interviewed one of the leading voices in the country concerning pre the pre-trib rapture and dispensationalism. Her name, Jan Markell, with Olive Tree Ministries. Jan is a very serious-minded person. She's been involved in ministry for over 40 years on radio broadcasting over 20 years. And she clearly, clearly expresses basically a dogmatic view that there is a pre-tribulation rapture, that there is a rapture, that it's a pre-tribulation rapture, and that those who are going to be raptured are those who are born again. The problem with those statements as simple as they seem to be, is that they lack the necessary biblical nuance to really qualify the terms. And as they say, the devil's always in the details, and so is the truth. So today on Viewpoint, we're going to attempt to rediscuss those issues in a way that hopefully you will be able to understand why people have differing views. Now, the question is, If you have differing views among extremely serious and sincere people, professing believers, then who is to determine which is the true viewpoint? And viewpoints do determine destiny. Why would it be important for us to understand at least some measure of truth with regard to this issue of a rapture? 
We'll find out as we proceed on with the program today because that issue is very seldom discussed. I have an article before me came out uh, a few years ago. Who's right about the rapture? You thought this was just a controversial topic. But as we move deeper into the end times, the debate is actually heating up. The belief that God will supernaturally rescue Christians from chaos and destruction before the end times kick into high gear is widely accepted in many modern-day evangelical circles. But not everyone agrees that the rapture is a biblical slam dunk. True. <clears throat> Corey Tenboom, who endured the Nazi Holocaust, her sister died there, declared that the pre-tribulation doctrine is a false doctrine and leading people into serious false expectations that will lead them even further into, perhaps, apostasy. Today I received a call from one of our listeners who had listened to our program today, excuse me, yesterday, with our friend Jan Markell, and uh, was very disturbed. He was very disturbed because he felt that the things that she was saying were absolutely, completely off-base biblically. And whether you agree or not with that will determine how you look at what we talk about here today on Viewpoint. You'll notice in yesterday's program... <clears throat> I dealt with the issue and her various opinions, viewpoints, we might call them, theological viewpoints, in such a way as not to end up in argument. Arguments don't accomplish anything. Because a man or a woman convinced against their will will be of the same opinion still. But what the Bible calls us to do is to reason together. So rather than preach at you today, we're going to reason together. In other words, we're going to think out loud about these various questions. Is there a rapture? What is it? When will it occur? And who would be raptured? And why is it important for us to understand at least some substantial aspects concerning this eschatological, that is, End Times Doctrine. Then came an article a couple of years ago. It says, Dear Friends, an interesting and challenging question is, how many people will be raptured? Recently, pollster George Barna released his research regarding the beliefs and conduct of today's Christians. The results were shocking. According to Barna, only 9% of America's born-again Christians, or those who claim to be born again, have a biblical worldview. Only 9%. So, in order to establish whether or not they had a biblical worldview, there were eight criteria, believing that absolute moral truth exists, that such truths are defined by the Bible, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator and still rules today, that salvation is a gift of God and cannot be earned, that Christians have a responsibility to share their faith in Christ, that Satan is real, and that the Bible is accurate in all its teachings. Yet, from those eight questions... He determined only 9% of those who claim to be born-again Christians had a biblical worldview. Question, do you have to have a biblical worldview to be raptured? 
If only 9% of those so-called born-agains believe these very basic truths of the Bible, how many of that small number believe that Jesus Christ will return personally to the earth as he promised? To believe the many signs that his return is near, and actually long and prepare for his appearing? Interesting questions. And so, how would you answer those questions, since our friend yesterday, Jan Markell, claimed or stated that there was only one prerequisite to being raptured, and that was to be born again. I wouldn't disagree with that in principle, but it's not the rest of the story. If that were the rest of the story, then why did Jesus say, he that endures to the end shall be saved? You see, part of the problem in our discussions is we don't discuss the whole issue. And we're going to do that as much as possible today on Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Are you rapture ready? That's a question that's asked by many these days. In fact, somebody even wrote a book called Rapture Ready. Somebody even has, I think, a a television or a radio program called Rapture Ready. But what does it mean? It's very easy to throw around these terms, and then we form, what should we say, uh, colloquial, religious colloquial ideas and expressions to try to unite us into a common view concerning these otherwise more difficult discussions. Today we're going to have this difficult discussion, but we're going to do it in such a way that we introduce the subject gradually from the different viewpoints of various people, various leaders. From the Billy Graham organization came this today. What is the rapture? What does the Bible say? It is a very short expression, and I want to share this with you because I think it's important. Here's what it says. There are many Christians who believe that the second coming of Jesus Christ will be in two phases. First, he will come for believers, both living and dead, in what is called the rapture which is the transformation and catching up of all Christians, dead or alive, to meet Christ in the air, and it will be secret. It would be unknown to the world of unbelievers at the time of its happening. Then, after a period of seven years of tribulation on earth, Christ will return to the earth with his church, the saints who were raptured and he will be victorious over his enemies and will reign on earth for a thousand years, the millennium, with his saints, the church. And after a thousand years, living unbelievers and the wicked dead will be raised to life and will be judged at the great white throne judgment. They will then be cast into the lake of fire where this, while the saved will live forever with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth. But many other evangelical Christians believe that Christ's return and the rapture will not occur 
until the seven years of the so-called tribulation have ended. And as far as the latter view is concerned, the rapture will not be secret, since it will be part of Christ's visible and triumphant return to end this present evil age, referred to as the second coming. All Christians do not agree on every detail of what will occur in the final events of this world's history. Some of these events and their order of occurrence have simply not been made clear in the Bible. Now, this is coming from the Billy Graham Association. Some of these events and their order of occurrence have simply not been made clear in the Bible. What is important is that all Christians hold in common that Christ will ultimately return bodily, visibly, and gloriously to reign and rule with his resurrected and transformed saints forever and ever. But the details of this great event will be made known in God's own time. I love those statements because they help us to humble ourselves a bit when it comes to these subjects that have become virtual hills that evangelical leaders are willing to die on. Yet if they're willing to die on them, as John Wolverd, one of the most uh, well-known uh, theologians from Dallas Theological Seminary who appeared on this program years ago uh, several times, he admitted right here on this program that there were no single passages of Scripture that supported a pre-tribulation rapture. None. But he's not the only one who has admitted that on this program. Many of those who have appeared on Jan Mark Hill's Understanding the Times radio program have also confirmed that on this program. And so I asked one of them, well, why then do you believe it? Why then do you write about it and preach about it as if it is absolutely true? Would you like to know what his answer was? Even though he had already said there was no particular scripture in the Bible that absolutely confirmed a pre-tribulation rapture, he said, well, I just believe it. Okay, that's fine. And I'm willing to allow him to just believe it. We all are entitled to just believe what we want to just believe. But then the next question arises, why do we want to just believe something that you've already admitted cannot be absolutely confirmed in the Scripture by any passage or even a collection of passages? It's a constructed doctrine. In fact, the word rapture doesn't even occur in the Bible. But that doesn't bother me because the concept of a rapture occurs in the Bible the Apostle Paul wrote it about it to the Thessalonians when he said that, uh, that believers would be caught up, Harpezo would be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so we would ever, ever be with the Lord. Caught up. That's where we get this idea of the rapture, which comes from an old French word and Latin, to be grabbed or to be uh, kidnapped, so to speak. Kidnapped by the Lord, taken away from the earth. All right. Let me establish this right up front. Do I believe in a rapture? 
Yes, I do. Based upon what the Apostle Paul said is a clear verse that believers will be caught up to meet with the Lord, and so we will either be with the Lord. But it doesn't say when. It doesn't say when. It doesn't say what believers they are. And for dispensationalists, they divide Gentile Christians from Jews. You didn't know that probably, but they do. It's a fundamental part of their belief system. Dispensationalists are the ones who primarily support pre-tribulation rapture doctrine. So, let's try to think out loud if we can. The Bible uh, says right there in the book of uh, Isaiah, the Lord says, come now and let's reason together. Can we reason together as professing believers who love the Lord, who want to serve him, who want to believe what he says, who want to do what he says, who want to uh, prepare the way of the Lord in our lives, in the lives of others around us? Can we reason together without getting our knickers in the twist and start attacking one another over something that has already been admitted by many theologians, you cannot know these answers absolutely. Not all of them. Because the Bible doesn't give us those answers. It only gives us enough for us to, shall we say, apply in our lives. You see, that's where the big problem comes. The big problem comes that we tend to isolate these theological ideas or theories, as some people call them, I'll call them ideas or viewpoints, we tend to isolate them from their real meaning in the broader perspective of our life and of God's intention and God's plan and his purposes throughout history. And so we look at them by themselves. Now, if we look at this doctrine of pre-tribulation rapture by itself, It's easy. I mean, who does not want a pre-tribulation rapture? Who in their right mind in the flesh would not want a pre-tribulation rapture? I can't imagine that anybody would. Who wants to go through any more difficulties than we've already gone through or some of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world have already gone through? Who would want to do that? No. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody's yearning for ever-increasing persecution. Nobody is clamoring to be uh, thrown in jail or lit on fire or uh, thrown to the lions in the Roman Colosseum or removed from their job or whatever. Nobody's crying or yearning for those things. Therefore, the easy answer is, I want to believe it. I just want to believe it. So I don't want to know anything else. I just want to believe it. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel comfortable. Well, wait a minute. How comfortable does it make you feel a pre-tribulation rapture that you're going to avoid all the problems and pressures and so on that the Bible describes? How does it make you feel when Jesus said, 
He that endures to the end shall be saved. What does he mean by that? You're going to have to endure something. What does the Bible mean when it says all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution? What does that mean? Who is that talking about? When Jesus wrote in John 16, 2, that the day is coming when he that kills you will think he does God a service. What does that mean? Was that just for the apostles? Is that how we look at the rest of Scripture? No, we don't. There's a reason that Jesus, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, warned Christians, both Jew and Gentile, warned Christians about the times that were coming. So here's my next question. If we are all out of here, those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ are all out of here with what is called a pre-tribulation rapture, does that not render all the warnings of Scripture moot, meaningless, of no value, no purpose? Indeed, it does. You see, these kinds of questions are not really thought about. They're not taught about by those who are promulgators of the pre-trib rapture doctrine that, that promote it with absolute certainty. It's one thing to talk about it and explain I believe it, but here are other problems that are surrounding this doctrine, and you need to consider those. If a person says that, I don't have a problem with it, says, but I really have formed the conclusion that there's a pre-trib rapture. But that's not the way it's presented. It's not presented with integrity, or, or humility, rather. It's not presented in consideration of the rest of the Word of God. Only those places that are deemed to be supportive of the concept of a pre-trib rapture. Now, bear in mind, you need to know that yours truly grew up from a little child believing in a pre-trib rapture. I was raised in a father's home, a pastor's home, who believed and taught a pre-trib rapture. All of the pastors and evangelists and so on that I, that touched my life for the first uh, 40 years believed in a pre-trib rapture, even for the first 50 years. It's only been in the last couple of decades that I begin to see things quite differently. As I searched the scriptures themselves, because I, I said, where is this doctrine absolutely taught? Yes, a rapture. I understand that. But who and when and why? Mm. Those questions we really need to answer in the second half of the program here today. We really do need to answer those questions. And so we will, as best we can. 
This, by the way, is not an attack on any person, not an attack on my guest from yesterday, who I have considerable respect for as an honorable and serious and sincere promoter of the gospel. I myself promoted a pre-trib rapture for years. Can I somehow fault people and get on their case and call them heretics just because I happen to see it differently? No. Because these people who embrace a pre-trib rapture embrace the fundamentals of the faith. Sin and salvation. Salvation by grace through faith. Not of works. No. On the other hand, it's time for us to honestly, honestly, and with integrity, explore this issue. And we will. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. What is the rapture? When will it occur? Who will be raptured? Why will they be raptured? All of these questions here today on Viewpoint. We've already answered the question what the rapture is. The word rapture doesn't actually exist in the Bible, but its concept is clearly expressed by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians. It comes from the Greek word harpezo, uh, which means to snatch away. It also is related to the French word rapture, uh, Latin word also, uh, meaning basically the same thing. And so that's where we get the word. But yesterday, I remember asking our friend Jan Markell, well, what? who is going to be raptured? Who is qualified to be raptured? And her answer was very simple. Those who are born again. She says that's the singular qualification to be raptured. Everyone who is born again will be raptured. Of course, we're not talking about when or why and so on yet. So here's my question. Shortly before she said that, she also said that one of the key characteristics that she saw demonstrating the end times, that we're in those end times, is a great falling away or apostasy. I want you to try to follow this now. And I agreed with her. The Bible says there will be a great falling away or apostasy before the Antichrist is revealed. So, she said, 
We're already seeing that great apostasy and falling away. Here's my question. How can you fall away from a place you've never been? How can you apostatize from the faith if you've never embraced the faith? You see the problem? Now you can understand better why Jesus said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Not he that's born, but he that lives for the Lord until the end. In other words, your life must be consistent with what you say you believe. That is the Hebrew meaning of the word believe. It has everything to do with the word trust. It has everything to do with the word obey. And so, the reason why the warnings concerning a tribulation, whatever that is, we're going to talk about it, the reason for those warnings is that the pressure is going to be so great that many professing born-again believers are going to fall away. In other words, they're not going to press on in the faith. They're not going to continue on, but they will say, I can't do it anymore. And they will, in a sense, in essence, betray the salvation that they embraced. That's why this is such a big issue, my friends. It's a huge issue. But the concept of pre-tribulation rapture as it's presented normally is you don't have to worry about any of that. You're out of here. You don't have to worry about any of that, the pressures that are coming. Hey, aren't you feeling the pressures yet? Do you not think that what's happening with regard to the effort to control the entire world through COVID and vaccines and to shut down churches and all of it, don't you think that's part of the emerging tribulation? Friends, where is our mind in reality? We did a program just a week ago concerning the massive rise in persecution of both Jews and Christians. It's exponential. Do you not think that that is revealing that we are in these times of increasing pressure? Do you know that the word tribulation comes from the Greek word thlipsis, which means pressure? We're playing games with ourselves. We're not being realistic. We're not being honest and fair with ourselves or with our families or with our congregations. We are not preparing people to be able to stand in the evil day. Are you beginning to get the sense of why this is so important? Anybody would want to be out of here. Anybody in the flesh would want to be out here. Who wants to endure persecution? Who wants to endure anything other than a nice, peaceful life? Nobody. But Jesus said we will. And he was talking to believers. Peter talked about the suffering. That's why you don't hear very many people talk about Peter. 
because he talked his whole two epistles are about suffering. He had to suffer for Jesus' sake. Was he raptured out of here? No. Were the four or 5,000 Christians in Nigeria that lost their lives last year to Muslims raptured out of here? No. The origin of the term rapture extends from Paul's apostle to 1 Peter, uh, 1 epistle to the Thessalonians. We talked about that. The idea of a rapture as it is currently defined is not found in historic Christianity, but is a relatively recent doctrine of evangelical Protestantism. The term is most frequently used among evangelical Protestant theologians in the United States because we think we're the exception to everything. It goes along with American exceptionalism in that conception. This view of eschatology, end times, is referred to as premillennial dispensationalism. There are differing viewpoints that exist about the exact timing of the rapture and whether Christ's return will occur in one event or two. Pre-tribulationism distinguishes the rapture from the second coming of Jesus Christ. That view holds that the rapture will precede a seven-year tribulation, which will culminate in Christ's second coming and be followed by a thousand-year messianic kingdom called the millennium. That theory grew out of the translations of the Bible that John Nelson Darby analyzed in 1833. Among the, a particular group there that he was associated with. Pre-tribulation Pre-tribulationism is the most widely held view among Christians believing in the rapture today in this country. However, that view is disputed within evangelicalism. Most Christian denominations do not subscribe to rapture theology and have a different interpretation of the gathering of believers described in 1 Thessalonians 4, commonly referred to as the rapture. These groups typically interpret rapture in the sense of the elect, that is, true believers, being gathered with Christ in heaven after his second coming. Most premillennialists, those who believe in a pre-trib rapture, distinguish the rapture and the second coming as separate events. They hold the return of Christ to be two distinct events. Amillennialists deny the interpretation of a literal thousand-year earthly rule of Christ. But we're not going to get into all of those uh, technical descriptions. Let's talk about pre-tribulational premillennialism. Pre-tribulation traces its uh, roots in the apostolic, the post-apostolic era, as far back as the Shepherd of Hermas, A.D. 140, which alludes to the idea that believers in Christ would not suffer the tribulation, and suggests a possible pre-tribulation view. Modern tri- uh, pre-tribulation gained rise in the 17th century with the Puritan preachers Increase Mather and Cotton Mather, both American preachers. It was popularized extensively in the 1830s 
by John Nelson Darby and the Plymouth Brethren and was further promoted in the United States through the wide circulation of the Schofield Schofield Reference Bible in the early 20th century. You need to understand that. This doctrine came about primarily in America through the Schofield Reference Bible. In other words, Charles Schofield, an attorney, in doing his Bible with personal notes in the margin, included the concept of a pre-tribulation rapture from John Nelson Darby. When people read the Schofield Reference Bible, because up till that time, these kinds of uh, Bibles with uh, notes in the margin and so on were not available. So this was a big deal, and it caught the country by storm. Sold millions and millions and millions of copies. And here's what happened. People read Schofield's notes as if they were part of Scripture. And that's how this took off. And then it became a doctrinal foundation for Dallas Theological Seminary, from which most of the premier pre-tribulation rapturous preachers have come. That's why it seems like everybody believes in it. During the 1970s, belief in the rapture became popular in wider circles, in part because of books like Hal Lindsey's, including The Late Great Planet Earth, that sold between 15 million and 35 million copies, and then a movie called Thief in the Night. I saw that movie. I remember that. In 1995, the doctor of the pre-tribulation rapture was further popularized by Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series of books, which sold close to 80 million copies and was made into movies and video games. And you think those things didn't have a huge impact? But friends, they weren't necessarily based upon the authority of Scripture. They were based upon opinion, viewpoints. And we'll pick up from there. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. And now as we continue to discuss and reason together concerning this issue of the rapture, of tribulation, of a pre-trib rapture, or some other timing of the rapture, we will get into some more 
detail. But I'm going to make the effort to simplify this so that all of us can understand without getting our knickers in the twist and rejecting one another and accusing one another of heresy. This is not the kind of issue that that title or that uh, label applies to particularly. If somebody says that Jesus is not the only way, the only truth, and the only life, that's heresy. If somebody says that you can earn your way to heaven, that's heresy. If somebody said that Jesus is not the the, uh, Son of God, that's heresy. There are things that are so fundamental to the Bible, to the message of the Bible, and are clearly, clearly, clearly expressed that to say otherwise is heretical. But these issues that we're talking about here are not that clear. Plus, they have consequences to the various viewpoints or opinions or ideas. Now, we've been talking about a pre-tribulation rapture because that's the common one that everybody wants to believe and says they believe. We're out of here. Here's how they express it. We're out of here before any problems occur. You know that's not true, but that's what you say. The next concept is what is called mid-tribulation. The mid-tribulation position espouses that the rapture will occur at some point in the middle of what is popularly called the tribulation period. Notice the term popularly called. Now, why is that term used in this description? Because there is no period in the Bible described as a seven-year period of tribulation. Did you know that? There is no biblical, direct biblical support for a seven-year period of tribulation. Here's what we know from the Bible. Number one, that in the world you will have tribulation. Jesus said so. Secondly, we know that in the world, there is going to be a period of time leading up to the second coming of Christ and the preceding appearance of the Antichrist, where the world is going to get tougher and tougher and tougher, and the pressure on believers is going to increase dramatically. We know that from the Bible. But there is no specific period of time called a seven-year period of tribulation. So where does that come from? It comes from the prophet Daniel, chapter 7, verse 25. Actually, uh, it, it comes from Daniel where he talks about the 70th week. The Messiah would be cut off after 49 uh yeah, after uh, 69 weeks, and then there would be, there was another week that wasn't accounted for, and that's deemed to be a hyphenated week called the 70th week, which is by interpretation then premillennially determined to be a seven-year period of tribulation. Jesus does not talk about a seven-year period of tribulation. None of the apostles do. But Jesus does talk about a great tribulation. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 24. 
And it's in the context of that great tribulation that he warns about the supreme testing of believers on the earth in terms of deception. It's going to be so great, he said, that if possible, even the very small remnant elect would be deceived. Do you have any concept about what Jesus was really saying? He wasn't saying we're going to be out of here. Quite the contrary. He was saying, no, it's going to be unbelievable the testing that you're going to go through. And if you're not rooted in the word of God, the confidence in the word of God, the authority of God in his word, you will be deceived. Three times he brings that up in Matthew chapter 24. So, we need to talk about the great tribulation. Because that's the only biblical term, the great tribulation. So what is it? The great tribulation is that time after the Antichrist is revealed. And by the way, the Apostle Paul says he will not be revealed until there's a great falling away of professing Christians. We're already seeing it happen. Our guest yesterday admitted that. I agree. It's a great falling away. So the Antichrist then will be revealed at some point after his revelation. He will go into a rebuilt temple and declare himself God. And all hell will break loose on this planet in ways that the world has never, ever, ever, ever seen. Jesus said so. Matthew 24. So, that is the wrath of man under Satan's control, not God's control, under Satan's control that is being poured out on the, on the, uh, the, the, on the world. Then there comes a point in time when God says enough is enough for my people. And the Bible clearly says, the Apostle Paul writes about it, uh, the book of Revelation tells us, Revelation chapter 3, as our guest said yesterday, that there comes a point where God will not pour out his wrath on the believers. God's wrath will be poured out on the children of disobedience, the Bible says. Not on his own true followers. And it is at that point, whenever that point is, sometime after the Antichrist, the counterfeit Christ, the imposter, moves into his position and then declares himself Messiah. Then, God says, enough is enough. Like Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. And at that point, it would appear that that is when the rapture will occur. Why? 
because God's wrath is not going to be poured out on his own people, only on the children of disobedience. To say that the other pressures that are growing during a period of maybe three and a half, four years before that, during what is commonly referred to as the tribulation, to say that that's the wrath of God is deception. It is not biblical. It is wish fulfillment, telling people what they want to hear, what is comfortable. And that's why those who promote that doctrine have vast numbers of listeners, audiences, and ministries with monies flowing in hand over fist. Why? Because they're telling the people what they want to feel, what they want to believe. Now, are they intentionally trying to deceive the people? I'm not convinced that they are. They're probably deceived themselves. Deception comes in on little cat feet, friends, and it occurs over time. And all of this has been happening since the early 1800s. A complete transformation of biblical eschatology and theology. What is coming is the day of the Lord, when the wrath of God is poured out. That is when the church will be removed. Now, is that the same as the second coming? Many believe that it is. That the rapture and the second coming are the same. But pre-tribulation dispensationalists say, no, there are two comings. One is the rapture, and the other is the second coming. As some put it, in the first one, the rapture, God comes to take his saints. In the second coming, he comes with his saints. Now, we're not going to get into that argument here. Their positions, their viewpoints, friends. You cannot establish those with absolute truth. You cannot. They're not. It's not in the Bible. You can say, I think this is the way it is, and that's what a pastor should say. And he should say, what are the consequences if it's not true? Here's what the consequences are if the pre-trib rapture is not true. Would you like to know what that is? Because you need to know this. First of all, if the pre-trib rapture is not true, then professing believers are even going to fall away the more so. Why? Because they're going to realize that the pressures that they were told are not going to be coming upon them, are coming upon them, and they're going to turn around and disbelieve everything that they've been told by those pastors. They've been deceived. They say, You didn't tell me the truth. I'm not out of here yet. There's something wrong with what you've been saying. I can't trust you. Are you beginning to get the point? Yes, it's true. If you really are born again and you really believe that you must endure to the end 
no matter what comes, no matter how severe the persecution, no matter if they hang you by your neck, no matter if they cut off your limbs one by one, you will endure to the end and trust the Lord. If you understand that's what it means to be born again, then indeed, to be born again by itself is enough. But if you do not understand that that's what it means, then you will fall away and you will not be raptured to be with the Lord. You will embrace the Antichrist and his mark. If you think that's just for the Jews, as pre-tribulation rapturists say, I think you've got another thing coming. Because all the warnings of Scripture concerning the mark of the beast are right there in Revelation chapter 13 and 14, and they're about the believers. They're about the falling away, that if you don't endure to the end, if you do not trust God, no matter what, no matter what the Antichrist government threatens you with, removal from your job because you didn't take the COVID vaccine or something like that, you're not a true believer. You may have pretended or you may have supposedly walked with Christ for 25 years, but if you don't endure to the end, you didn't finish the course. You see, not everybody that signs up for college and gets accepted gets the the proof of graduation. This is very important. Very, very important. I urge you to get a copy of my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. You'll uh, encounter some of this there. It's not all about that, but you'll encounter some of this. You'll find out why these things are so critically important. It's not about easy believism, friends. The pre-wrath version of the rapture may very well be the most accurate, but it doesn't tell us exactly when that's going to take place. How great is your trust in the Lord? Really, how great is your trust in the Lord? Get a copy of the book, Antichrist, on our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Be in prayer about this issue. It's big. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 